Hello everyone. I am so excited to share today's episode with Jerry Wise, who is a family and marriage therapist. He is a coach and he really helps people find a true sense of self by getting unstuck from their family systems, family of origin, and developing and coming into who they are. I found Jerry through his YouTube channel, which I highly recommend. So if you're interested in learning about family systems and enmeshment and more, just diving deeper into the conversation I have today with him, go check out his YouTube channel. He has so many amazing videos and so many resources for you to help you get started on your healing journey and coming back to a true sense of self. So I found him through YouTube and I watched like 10 videos and I was just so, you know, invigorated. Like a lot of things clicked for me and here we are now having a conversation all about self-differentiation, relationship systems, being who we really are and breaking free from the family dynamics and dysfunctions and all the things that tie us to our family of origin really prevent us from being who we are. This conversation will be expansive, will be mind-shifting, will leave you with resources, and will leave you thinking and seeing things differently about your journey and about how you can help yourself come home. For me, The main takeaway I got from this episode with Jerry was it's not about changing other people. It's about changing ourselves and really dive into that today and this conversation. Before we get started, I would love it if you can take a moment after the episode and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast get into the ears of more listeners and it helps bring the message that I share with you through the podcast, the guests who come onto this podcast out into the world and we can create a more healing and whole and more centered in who we are world. And I have a gift for you. If you go to the show notes, there's a link to something called a treasure chest, which is full of resources to support you on your journey of homecoming. It includes things like the Planting Seeds Journaling Guide, Meditation PDF, an emotionally empowered audio class helping you understand and navigate your emotions, and a few more goodies in there. So the link to that is in the show notes, and go ahead, and it's my gift to you. Now, let's dive into today's episode with Jerry Weiss. Welcome to the Unlearn Yourself Podcast. This is the place to discover and remember yourself as you unlearn who you have been taught to be. We will explore who your true self is by diving into your inner world and creating the most empowering, aligned, and free relationship with you and your life. excited to chat with you today. 
So thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk about, oh my gosh, so many good things we're going to talk about. Um, Oh boy. Let's start with- No hard questions. You can't have any hard questions. (laughs) I want to just start a little bit. I start every episode by asking the guest, uh, what's one or a few words you would use to describe yourself? Well, I think in terms of um, describing me, I would be somebody who's uh, spent a lot of years trying to help people. And many of those years I spent trying to help people to help myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming from a codependent background and codependency, which maybe your listeners might be familiar with. It's a pretty common term used these days. and and being a recovering codependent, you know, I uh, I've had to work on those issues because I was a, a you know people pleaser and a caregiver, caretaker, and and uh, kind of would give myself up for other people for many years, and then went into the ministry and became a pastor and a bishop, and and again, kind of how I would describe it as like a paid codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, Not that I'm disparaging the ministry of any kind, but I just, you know, if there are a lot of folks who get into caregiving for those kind of reasons to kind Mm -hmm. of save themselves. Yeah. Um, And so I would say I was somebody who really likes to think about how people um, relate to one another. Yeah. uh, How I relate to other people. And... You know, I have different interests from music to political science to marriage and family therapy to pastoral counseling to Mm -hmm. chemical dependency work and psychiatric work. And so I have a lot of different interests. Yeah. And that's kind of Jerry, Jerry Mm -hmm. Wise. And I and I do I'm interested in business as well. I try to help people with businesses Mm -hmm. and social media and all those kinds of things. And that's kind of me. I am. I am. Uh, I do have a son and a granddaughter. I have an ex-wife. Um, so that's Jerry Wise. Yeah. So I feel like because you're so so many interests, I feel like you've always probably been a questioner and curious person. Um, Jerry, has that was that what inspired you to get into doing the work that you do? I would say definitely. Uh, I've always been interested in the truth in the sense of I want to see how things work. And that includes how relationships work and and how people interact, uh, which has always been an interest of mine. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was an undergraduate, I had a very, very bright and brilliant professor in Mm -hmm. psychology but he was horrible mm. in terms of teaching psychology. And so I thought, ah, why would I want to do this? I mean, yeah. this, I don't ever want to do that. Cause I was going to go be a lawyer. I was mm-hmm. accepted to a couple law schools and that's what I was going to do and maybe go into politics. Yeah. Which yeah. was a crazy, crazy notion. And, um, so I, my interest in psychology was pretty low, but as I got older, uh, as I got out into the world, I became much more interested in therapy and graduate work in that way. And from my pastoral work, that was the part of the job I enjoyed the most. Mm -hmm. 
the administrative and all that and church politics and all that stuff is not quite so fun for me, but I did learn a lot from yeah. uh, church politics. I, yeah. I learned how to grow up. That was yeah. huge. I needed to because yeah. I was drowning. Uh, our background is kind of similar in that uh, when I Uh-oh. remember taking psychology classes in college, uh, I was like, this doesn't sound nice. Like the teacher wasn't explaining it well. And I've always had an interest in helping people and understanding why people do what they do and why they are the way they are. But I was like, well, right. psychology doesn't really help me understand that. And because it was a, the teacher and the person who was teaching him it, teaching it to me didn't mm-hmm. translate to my brain. But until I got right. older, I was going through all my own stuff and realized, wow, I'm healing from a traumatic childhood and there's so many wounds and so many um, issues were coming up. Did I start to understand psychology and really like dive into this work of digging deep and seeing why all this was surfacing? Um, so with that being and said, that's I, fascinating to me also. That's yeah. right. Why, why am I the way I am? Why do yeah, I do what I do? do. Yeah. Those Good such, things and bad things. Those are know? such empowering questions to ask ourselves. Um, and in your work, I know when I came across you, I was actually Google searching narcissistic abuse. Uh oh. And I watched like 10 of your videos and I just, I love the way that you like delivered it the way you explained it. So I want to dive into more about narcissistic abuse, you know, the whole process Mm -hmm. of self-differentiation, the enmeshment, you know, talking about our inner child and really how we can free ourselves and get to really be self-embodied, self-approving, self-loving people, because really taking our power back from these relationships. Definitely. Definitely. And that's certainly been an interest of mine. Um, And the applying family systems approach and a self-differentiation approach to recovery or healing for narcissistic abuse, I felt was lacking out there. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that in the the way people were writing books and doing it didn't mean the books weren't helpful. It didn't mean the articles aren't helpful. They, they can identify the problem and then they'll say, Hey, do these 10 steps, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you'll be better. Well, I think if if you do those 10 steps, you may be better. That's, that's good. But I think if we could look at it in a systems way and a, and zoom out, I think, it helps us to advance in our recovery from almost anything, whether it be adult children of alcoholics or adult children of narcissists or being in a narcissistic relationship. Yeah. So what would you describe is family systems for those of us who are hearing it for the first time? Sure. And, and, and again, all of these terms I use self-differentiation, family systems, um, over seriousness. I have, there's lots of words. It's, it's the jargon of shorthand to try to describe a dynamic that you can't describe the whole dynamic in, well, you try to describe it in a couple words. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's kind of the jargon of that area, of uh, this particular uh, area. And family systems approach or family systems, primarily the grandfather of family therapy, uh, Murray Bowen, Dr. Mm-hmm. Murray Bowen, back in the 40s and the 50s. 
what he discovered was, and he came from a Freudian background, which is, you know, you lay on the couch and you, you know, psychiatrist sits at the head of the couch. You can't look at them. You can't yeah. see them. And the psychiatrist, you can't talk to anybody else in their family because it will contaminate the field of working with the person. So a Freudian psychoanalyst would not talk with anybody else in your family. Oh, interesting. Uh, because that would contaminate the process. Well, Murray Bowen began to recognize as he was treating schizophrenics, he, he hospitalized the schizophrenics and hospitalized their whole families with them. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what you'll find out? How all this is working together. Mm -hmm. How it all, oh, wait a minute. When the family is less fused or emotionally enmeshed, Mm -hmm. there's fewer psychotic episodes and symptoms mm -hmm. when there's more fusion and more enmeshment oh, wow. psychosis goes up and he's going, how can that be? This is a biochemical illness. Wow. You know, how does that affect it? So now we have a family systems approach to problems mm -hmm. and we see that it fits into a broader system. Just like when somebody comes to me and say, Oh, I I'm racked with guilt and I've been guilty for, I felt guilty for all my life yeah. and I'm always operate out of guilt. They're viewing themselves in an individualistic way mm -hmm. and just seeing themselves, not seeing themselves in the system because yeah. if they understood more how that could be a systems feeling yes. rather than just a true feeling of mine, mm. well, now I have a whole new way that I might be able to tackle it or deal with it and so that's that family systems approach mm -hmm. that it broadens out same with working with couples yeah when you work with a couple you're working with actually if i'm working with a couple there are three families in that room with me mm -hmm. mine his hers or his and his or hers and hers the there are three families that are all operating in this session mm -hmm that's really zooming out yeah yeah you're looking at the or you picture. can just or you can just zoom in and go okay john i want you to just say these things when your wife says these things mary i want you to say these things when your husband and that could be helpful but it's much more helpful if you can mm -hmm. zoom out and that's what family systems uh, means is zooming out and recognizing that we're not individuals, though we are. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I understand I'm an individual. I, I get that. But I'm an individual always in my family of origin system. Mm -hmm. My family will be in me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Now, what am I going to do with that? Right. I can either deny it and say, well, it's not there. No, that's all baloney. Why would you do that? Or why would you think that way? Or you can recognize that and begin to change and heal with that additional knowledge mm -hmm. and information. That changes the problem formulation and the solution significantly mm -hmm. rather than just, okay, well, if you feel guilty, just work on not feeling guilty. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't you work. Know, that guilty is silly. Mm -hmm. So let's just think not guilty. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's so, deeper than that. Yeah, our psyche is built from these systems. You know? It's that that's the root and we're going exactly. to the we're going to the root. And that's interesting you say that because when I work with my clients, the first thing I ask them, what was your childhood like? What's your family structure like? What was mom and dad like? What your relationship with them like? And that really helps me see 
What's right. going on with you today? Why that's the issue you're going with, you're, you're struggling with today. Exactly. And they weren't, they were looking at a micro level mm -hmm. rather than a macro, macro level, level. Yeah. or what we call working towards second order change rather than first order change. Right. Uh, second order change is when you really go to the root of the problem. But to go to the root of the problem, you have to zoom out. Right. You have to look bigger. And as you've looked bigger with your clients in a larger, you know, zooming back from the microscope, um, then you start to see why what they're doing and how they're choosing and where they're going and what you go. Oh, well, it makes much more makes sense, sense now. Yeah. And it starts making sense to them and it starts making sense to them. And they start to feel more empowered because they have a better map. They have better knowledge. And now they'll go to a problem and go, oh wait, I should turn right here rather than turning left. Mm -hmm. Had I not had a systems approach, I would have turned left. left yeah. But I should be turning right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. In my emotional development. I want, you said something that was so profound is that when he was studying those um, schizophrenic patients and they were studying the family together, he said the more emotional en enmeshment, the higher the dysfunction. Can we talk about that? Because when you said that in a video of yours, it like hit me where, you know, when I'm like dealing with a narcissist parent and you're, you're a child of a narcissist parent, there is right. so much emotional enmeshment, but that also happens oh. in couples too. It's any relationship. Why do any we get emotionally enmeshed and what can we do to start, you know, that self-differentiation process from the enmeshment we, we are in in that relationship? Right. And, and people ask me, right, how did I get this enmeshment? Well, you got the enmeshment from the day you were born mm -hmm. because how dependent were we? Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. Now I understand we get older. I mean, I, I get that. Um, the, and so we begin by being fused and enmeshed and that's totally an appropriate developmental place to be. If you're an mm -hmm. infant, that's what you're supposed to do. But if you're an adult, should you be dependent like an infant? No, that's not going to be healthy. That's not going to be good. And so instead of us growing into being ourselves while staying connected, which is what self-differentiation means in brief, being ourselves while staying connected. Most people have a hard time balancing those. Right. They'll either be themselves and not connected or be totally connected and not be themselves. Right. That, that's what we fall off those all the time. And the work of self-differentiation is stay in the middle, stay mm -hmm. at the 90-degree mark rather than zero or 180. Mm -hmm. And so as we begin to grow and develop, if we have abuse, if we have dysfunctional families, if we have trauma, if we have those kinds of uh, uh, events happening in our lives, that only fuses us more to the family mm -hmm. so that it delays our self-differentiation or individuation process. That's another way people will use the word individuation or autonomy. Mm -hmm. Sovereignty. Um, sovereignty, self-empowerment, mm -hmm. all actualization, you mm -hmm. know, all those words. Though each of those words come from a different theory. Right, right. Now, do they mean similar? Yeah, they're similar, but self-differentiation is different than autonomy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, there's more to it than right. that. 
the uh, so as we're developing and becoming an adult, we find ourselves still stuck in the family mm-hmm. and still enmeshed with the family because of traumas, dysfunctions, a lack of self. Do you think it's also because of, of like expectations? On whose part? Expectations, let's say, from the parent to the child. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because we are imprinted by our parents and that emotional process continues with us. And in fact, that emotional process doesn't even have to be spoken. Mm. The emotional process is assumed and it's, it's absorbed. It, it's not, it's not somebody says, I don't want you to grow up and be an adult or be self-differentiated. No, what parent ever says that? that? Yeah. You know, they just live that, you know, it's oh. just lived. And so it's not spoken mm-hmm. uh, just like adult children of alcoholics, adult children of narcissists, adult children of abuse. Um, those parents never say, I don't want you to grow up. And in fact, they may even shame you or ridicule you for not growing up. Right. While, while at the same time, they're staying fused and enmeshed with you mm-hmm. because of the trauma and pain and things that have happened. So as we grow up, we find ourselves continuing that enmeshment even into adulthood. Then it affects our adult relationships. Mm-hmm. So now I'm enmeshed with a partner mm-hmm. and now I'm enmeshed with my family and enmeshed with my partner. Right. So now I got two enmeshments I got to deal with and all that's unconscious and we're observationally blind to that. We mm-hmm. don't see that. And we wonder why things don't work. Right. Why are my partner and I always arguing and, you know, do because you haven't zoomed back to take a look and see what you're, you're railing against your partner who wants you to be enmeshed but you're railing against them because you're still enmeshed with your family of origin mm-hmm. and it's showing up here in your relationship with them, but they get the heat because they're the present mm-hmm. relationship. And would so, you say that um, enmeshment perpetuates this not knowing of who I am and being afraid to be yourself because that was. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, not being who I am, being afraid of being who I am, being taught I'm nobody or should have no self, and then doing that whole loop and just staying in that loop. Mm. And that's what enmeshment will do because enmeshment means you are de-selfing. And and at all times, we are either de-selfing or selfing. Mm -hmm. There is no neutral There is no neutral stay in place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're always doing one or the other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in relationships with family, with others, with partners, with spouses. And I remember, uh, I might've been Dr. Framo in his book, but, and he talks about you're, you're, there is no such thing as staying in place. You're you're always either de-selfing or selfing, Mm -hmm. being a self or not being a self. That's, there's no middle place if we're enmeshed, we will tend towards not being ourselves. To gain and we'll love and approval. To, we're looking for a self. Mm. And we're, codependents will look for a super self because they're attached to the super self of their family, that big super self that everybody partakes of in an enmeshed family. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to go look for a super self again. Well, narcissist is a great place to go. You know, I mean, he'll he'll be happy or she'll be happy to provide a super self for you. 
and we just then are looking for love in all the wrong places and we're trying to fill up that part but that bucket problem that's empty happened a long time ago mm -hmm. and if you go do the long time ago work you can let go better of the current Mm -hmm. uh, problems that you have or getting out of a narcissistic relationship or getting over a narcissistic relationship. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where you, because people will say, well, how do I get over this ex that I have as an, who is a narcissist? Get over your mom and dad. <laughs> and they go, what? And your siblings. And they go, what, what have they mm -hmm. got to do with Bob? Mm -hmm. You know, everything, everything. Yeah. I'm sorry, everything. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you something different. And and I'm happy to, you know, if you don't believe me, that's fine. I'll help you any way you want. But I'm just telling you what, if you really want to let go of Bob, work on letting go of your family of origin. And, you know, one of the things you said in your video, which really struck with me was that uh, don't need love and approval. Be okay not getting the love and approval and i had and i like that really inquired me to look within myself and uh because you know look at the big picture and realizing that because i've needed love and approval from my parents and i wasn't getting it that was the cause of all my issues and everything i was doing was that, this unconscious need to, it wasn't it was a need me. like desperation right. to get love and approval and the more I was myself in those relationships, the less love and approval I actually got from my parents. And, and isn't that interesting? It's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. The more you want it, the more you won't get it. Mm -hmm. And that's the paradox, which is also why I like family systems, because it, it sees relationships in such a paradoxical way rather than a, just a linear causal way. It's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And, and, Good behavior can have bad consequences. Bad behavior can have good consequences, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's how it fits in the system. Uh, I had a quote I put up on Facebook, on my Facebook page, on uh, Jerry Wise Relationship Systems. It says, if you have the hunger and intense need to be understood and accepted, or I could also add loved, mm -hmm. I could add that too then no one can meet that need but you. Mm. The more intense the need, the less anybody can meet that for you. Mm -hmm. And do you and think the more, the more you the compromise yourself, and the more you stay enmeshed? Right. Yeah. The more you stay enmeshed to get that need yeah. met. Yeah. And so that's why I tell people, and they don't like hearing that message, and I don't blame them. I didn't like it either. Yeah. So I, I didn't like that message either. Uh, because I wanted to feel accepted and loved and understood and, you know, and because uh, I didn't feel I got that. And I remember a therapist telling me, he said, well, the good news is that can change. Mm -hmm. The bad news is nobody can do that for you. Mm. Well, that's <laughs> not very fun. What do you mean? I mean, I have to do and, it myself. <laughs> you mean I have to do, I have to love, accept and and understand me? Yeah. Ooh, I don't like that stuff. What a fun journey that is. What a fun journey. I because <laughs> I feel I'm worthless or bad yeah. or stupid yeah. or not yeah. pretty enough or not handsome enough or all not the things. Enough. That, yeah. 
Yeah, so would you would you find that this is probably one of the main causes we're so afraid to self-differentiate and go find out who I am? And and people will often tell me or ask me, they'll send me questions and they'll say, Jerry, how can I discover who I am if I never knew? Mm, that's a really powerful question. That's a very powerful question. It's just a false one. Yeah. And, and I tell them, because your questions, your question, every question we ask has the answer in it. Yeah. Every question comes out of our system. It, and if you can listen to the question, you can, you can read what it means. Mm -hmm. And a lot, because the answer is in your question always. Mm -hmm. And so I will tell them, it's, it's not that's a bad question. Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. It's just a question that, um, how would I want to say, uh, won't lead you anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because even if you get the answer, it, well, you don't want the answer to that question because it's not the right question. Right. And so I like to help people ask the right question. Now, again, I've asked that very question, so I don't ever put anybody down. I've asked all the wrong questions for so, decades. So what questions should we be asking ourselves then? Okay. Well, I would tell them if they'd say, um, how do I find myself if I've never known myself right. or didn't have a self growing up? I was enmeshed, had narcissistic parents or whatever the, you know, and I, and I don't doubt them. I mean, they're, what they're saying is true. Mm -hmm. And I understand their question. But then what I would say is your question keeps you locked up. Oh. Let me, let me rephrase your question. Jerry, when will I begin to know myself in that I've never known myself before? Mm -hmm. And I would tell them whenever you're ready. Mm. it's not a how but a when question mm. and people we always ask how questions yeah we want but it's answers. a when question what do you mean do you want to know who you are are you ready well i just don't think i can because i've never known who i am mm -hmm. and i'm not making fun of them i was in the same place but the the issue is but your question has you where you can't Mm -hmm. no, the solution. It's not a can't thing. It's a you're not ready thing. Mm -hmm. When you're ready, you will start looking at who are you mm -hmm. and start defining what, well, what do I like? Do I like chocolate ice cream or do I like vanilla? You'll have to choose. Mm -hmm. Now, who's world. keeping you from choosing? No one. No one. It's, yeah. And you're saying, well, how can I, how can I decide whether I, here's the, here's the, a similar question. How can I decide whether I like chocolate or vanilla ice cream better if I've never known myself all my life? Mm. What would you answer them? What would you tell them? Mm -hmm. You just have to choose. Yeah. And that's inside you, that yeah. your awareness. You mm -hmm. taste chocolate, taste vanilla. You, come up you, with a, you, you choosing is you being yourself. Is you. That's, yeah. that's, that's it. So, so the question is, when will I be ready to be myself? Right. Not how can I be myself? Correct. It's always when. 
And then when they say, well, how can you help me get ready? Yeah. And I can say, well, well, we, we can help you get ready. Let me tell you how I would suggest you get ready. Mm -hmm. I want you to write down that I am not ready to discover who I am yet. <laughs> and I would like you to read that to yourself a hundred times a day. Yeah. But, but you have to believe it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you totally have to accept that because you're accepting yourself as not being ready. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of being yourself yeah. is you're accepting who you are right now. And then they do that. And then they come back and go, wow, that was transformative. That mm -hmm. Jerry, I, that's so weird that, and I said, it's not magic. It's that you were coming to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what was so healing and powerful about it. It's not because I was a genius. Mm -hmm. It was, it was only that you were coming to accept you right now. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they accept that, it's almost like they go, well, I feel ready now. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's mm -hmm. the paradoxical type of healing. Mm -hmm. to let's accept that you're not ready. Mm -hmm. Now there might be some other things in the way, because then we can also ask if I waved a magic wand, then you were ready and you were ready to accept you and to begin, begin to know you. What would be the downsides? Mm -hmm. What would be the problems? Wh what relationships would that upset? Yes. What in what way would you behave that other people would not be happy? Yes. What way now? Now we start to learn why you might be not ready to change. Exactly. Exactly. Who's they love might not like? Yeah. Who's, who's love, love and acceptance are you going to lose? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what keeps us stuck in the I don't know who I am. I can't that's be right. who I am loop. I can't be who I am because you're fearful. If you were who you were, you wouldn't be loved or accepted or understood or da 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 da. But you have to start with you first. Yeah. And only before you you're worrying give, about what all and, and only, only you, you, can, you can give it to yourself. It sounds it sounds so simple, but I know <laughs> that when I we don't. are enmeshed in this, it is just oh, like a dark black hole. <laughs> um, I do agree. I know. And I'll and, and that's the other thing is that because I know, yeah, people know that I care about their struggle. And yeah. because I do know how how it can, how difficult it can be. I, I actually was the latter. Um, I wasn't, I like, I have a, a, a narcissist relationship with my father, um, which was something I had to come to terms with just this past year, not realizing this is what was going on in this relationship. But I've always been, wow, that's huge. I've always that been the been child huge. who was talking back, you know, always had my own opinion, always had my own voice always stood up for myself and I always did what I wanted to do. And the th guilt that I felt a lot of the time was that if I'm being true to myself, it hurts him. Because, exactly. And cause I was not the pleaser, you know, I turned out to so, be the, so other, the other end of the So is your stuckness just within you or is it the stuckness within the system? Oh, it's, it's in the system and it's just being passed on generation to generation, right. generation to generation. And, and so the thing I had to learn was me choosing myself is wrong in his eyes, but doesn't have to be wrong in my eyes. 
And that was the, the, the switch that went off in That's my head. Big. And I was like, if I did not need his love and approval, who would I choose to be? And I said, oh my gosh, I've been doing this since I was a little girl. I've been unconsciously choosing myself and realizing that I didn't have to punish myself because he didn't accept that I was being me. Exactly. And I, many times people will come to me with very difficult questions sometimes. What should I do with my career? Should, I, should we buy this house or not? Should I change jobs? Should I, you know, should I give up this friend because they're not good for me? Should I, you know, all these questions. And I'll go, okay, let's take away all the things that hold you stuck. Yeah. If nobody would feel guilty, nobody would be angry, nobody would give you a hard time at all, mm -hmm. what would you choose? Yes. That's the, and then they'll usually go, oh, well, I'd choose this. Yeah. And that's you being you. That's you being you. That's you being you. I didn't tell you to see. That's where your heart was at. And that's what you really would choose. Now, I understand you have this, the guilt problems and the rejection problems or abandonment or, you know, I, but we can work on those. But at least you know what your answer is. Right. Now we'll work on having those have less power. Right. Uh, something that came up when you were speaking is should is always keeping us stuck. When we speak in shoulds and think mm -hmm. in shoulds, it's this stuckness to the system, to the enmeshment. Absolutely. It's a shaming word and it's a stuck word. Well, that's for stuck feeling. Because shoulds are shaming. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it also keeps us stuck. You're right. That we should do this, should do that. So if you if there are no shoulds, and if there are no, what would you decide? Can you trust yourself that much mm -hmm. and then decide? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you can go, then we can retreat back to your defenses. That's okay. We can retreat back behind the fortress and go, oh, but what am I going to do about all this getting rejected and feeling guilty and what dad might think? Or, you know, I said, w we can deal with all that, but at least you know what your answer is. Yeah. That's huge. And that, that can be a comfort. And let's work towards that. And why are we giving our power away? Mm -hmm. Why do we give our power away through guilt, shame, worthlessness? Why are we giving that power away to somebody else? Because mm -hmm. we do that. And that's that part of the enmeshment growing up. We need their love and, and approval. We, I, because my bucket is empty. Yeah. So I need their love and approval. Mm -hmm. Because my bucket doesn't isn't full enough and we don't realize there's a faucet right above that bucket but we don't turn it on mm -hmm. and we're waiting for other people to bring their cups and pour oh. water into my bucket and they don't realize you've had a faucet there all along <laughs> it's you yeah you know if you can i help you turn that on yeah i love that can analogy. i help you do that and, and I remember I had a, a couple that I worked with many years ago, but they, we put faucets on each side of the, the, it was a group room at that time, on each side of the room. And each of them, we did some work around turning on their faucets. And it was quite a fun thing because they're both, uh, you know, uh, dehydrated and thirsty. Mm -hmm. 
but neither could get their faucets on. Mm -hmm. They and it, but it, there was plenty of water mm -hmm. there. It just, you know, we we didn't learn. We don't know. Well, in fact, we were even taught or imprinted. You get it from us. You get it from the super self. That's where you're supposed to get it. And don't you forget it. Don't you, you know, go look. Get it from the family. Else. Don't you go looking somewhere else. Yeah. You know and. Yeah, and nobody ever says that necessarily verbatim, yeah. though even some families will. Um, and and the same can be true with churches, organizations. Don't go, don't go get it other places. Don't go. Even I remember how difficult it was for pastors to refer to a pastoral counselor or to a therapist because they didn't want to share influence. Yeah. Because they were afraid of the outside world. What yeah. what might happen to their mm -hmm. parishioners? And it's like that's their family of origin issue. It's not, it's not true. It's a family of origin issue for the pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but I could so here's a lecture that. Here's a question I have for you. What is, what are a few ways for those of us who are ready to be ourselves, ready to choose ourselves? What are a few ways we can start to turn that faucet on and start to build that trust with ourselves? um to turn that faucet on oh well i think that's a good um that's a good question let me the i think that the turning that faucet on involves doing inner bonding work in other words getting to know you it can involve inner child work, the inner child, the little Jerry, the big Jerry, you know, working on that inner parts of us, loving ourselves. Most of us have not learned to love or accept ourselves. We were learned to do, we were taught to do the opposite. So doing that kind of work of learning to accept ourselves where we are at this time uh, and self-care which we often haven't learned to do what we've learned to do is try to get care for ourselves by caring for other people mm. and we miss caring for ourselves it's not a selfishness it's a self-love um, because in fact i think the most generous and caring people are those who can care for themselves the most yeah they are often the most generous and caring because there's no strings attached. There's no neurotic dynamics to that, mm -hmm. that I need you. So I'll do for you. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, those kind of under unspoken contracts that are underneath the caregiving or helping or loving. That's or like where the people whatever pleasing comes in. Where That's where the people pleasing comes in. And then I'll feel better if you're pleased. Yeah. Thank you. I'll do for you. You'll be pleased with me. And then I'll feel better. That's yeah. our contract. Yeah. Cause my identity comes well, from what you think of me. Yeah. And, and good luck keeping that contract and good luck always being approved of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause that's not going to happen. No. So those are some of the things I think about turning on the faucet. The faucet also can be turned on by studying family systems, books like Jenny Brown, growing yourself up. Harriet Lerner, uh, Roberta Gilbert, uh, doing those kinds of, to, to expand your mind also is loving 
yourself so. because you're seeing things differently. Yeah. And that's, so those are some. Cause I, I always I say, always, I always say the, the intention of doing all this work is to learn to see yourself differently than how you have been taught to see yourself through the enmeshment that you have with your family and your family system right. coming from generations. And when you start to see yourself differently, you realize there was nothing ever wrong with you or you weren't ever lost. It's always been there. Uh, right. It's interesting. You mentioned all, I just had put up a, um, I put up another quote that's just what you just talked about um, on Jerry Wise Relationship Systems on Facebook. I hope your listeners might be open to. Ah, uh, yes. The answers to your problems already exist. We just have been trained to ignore them. Mm. And look outside of and, ourselves. And that's what you're right. We've, we've just been trained to not look that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, look over there, keep looking over there, keep looking over there. And then we try to solve our problems when we needed to be looking over here. Mm-hmm. But we were trained, don't look over there. Don't look that direction. That's not how we do that as our family. That's mm-hmm. not how we look. Mm-hmm. That is not how we look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to I ask you about uh, the child, the inner child. I think it's a huge, huge, huge component to our adulthood, who we become as Mm -hmm. adults. And that the inner child is, is like, well, you would say the root, the seed of the enmeshment is the, the dysfunction that we get tied to. And it's like, doesn't matter how big or small dysfunction is. If you're losing yourself by being in relationship with somebody there, that's dysfunction. That's dysfunction. Yeah. So de-selfing is not a healthy relationship. Now, shared life is a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. De-selfing is not. No. How how do we start to build that connection with the inner child whose needs were unmet? Because there is these layers and layers of, I would say, like conditioning programs. Conditioning, programming, trance. I call it the family trance. Uh, being hypnotized by the family dysfunction. And, um, and I think connecting with that inner child, the first is to have, begin to have a conversation with your inner self. Mm. Asking yourself, what do you want? What do you need? What are you feeling right now? Uh, without judgment, shame, guilt, you know, with no, you're just inquiring about your inner self from your neck on down. And, and not just, and so many people, so many times we'll, we'll talk about feelings in an intellectual way. Um, Rather than, no, I tell people always, okay, I want the feeling from your neck on down, because you're very good with your head. And I was very good with my head, but I wasn't good with neck on down. Mm And um, so we begin to have a dialogue with that part of us. You can call it little Jerry. You can call it your inner self. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have that dialogue with the inner you, what, what are you, you know, and this, you know, pick an age, you know, 10 uh, year old little Jerry. I remember I have a photograph of me in a bathtub. I was probably seven, 
something like that. And, and I can see that seven-year-old Jerry mm-hmm. and, and he was, he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I could just tell and looking at him. Now things changed as yeah. get older, but I just thought innocent and, and full of life and yet even feeling insecure, even at that time, because mm-hmm. I, I know I did feel insecure at that time and there were problems, but, but I was naive. I was young. I was a kid. And and having a dialogue with him mm-hmm. and looking at him, getting a picture of you when you're a child and, and talking to that child or journaling mm-hmm. or writing a letter from the child's perspective or um, writing the letter uh, about how you feel mm-hmm. about that. Or you can do letters or journaling where you talk about, this is my adult um, narrative of this problem. Now let's give the little Jerry narrative of this problem mm, that's a good or issue. At it. And then we begin to separate those out and kind of, go, Oh, well, there's a lot more information there than I thought. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I had all that information. Mm-hmm. And also having that dialogue of if you weren't protected or cared for or affirmed or valued, then what are you going to do to do that now to care or value or protect your inner child? Mm -hmm. Are you going to grab them by the arm and yank them and take them into a narcissistic relationship? Mm -hmm. Is that what your plan is? You know, I mean, let's not do that, you know, and you're because your inner child's going to go yelling and screaming, you know, or your inner child's going to get love bombed, you know, by say a narcissist. And then that just feels so good mm-hmm. whenever it feels so good and you've come from a dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. whenever it feels so good, see that as a red flag. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that good. That makes sense. Not that there aren't good things out there, but I'm just saying whenever we've come from a broken background, then you don't trust those feelings. You, you need to trust some other feelings, but not those. Right. Because we'll get love bombed. Go, oh, finally, somebody is loving me and meeting all my needs. If you're 30 years old, came from an abusive you know, family or whatever, and a background, and you now have found everything you always wanted, yeah. be suspicious. Yeah. And you've never taken the time to be And you've yourself. never, exactly. Uh, then that should be a red flag two things come to my mind um when i'm in my sessions with my clients the thing i love asking them was when they're describing some type of very triggering thing i ask them how old do you feel right now and that instantly makes absolutely the bigger you who's dealing with this is actually something else is going on way down the timeline where this way down the time where this thing was like seeded or rooted in you at and that really opens up the whole entire perspective and you're like, Oh, I had no idea. I, I, well, that's that observational blindness. That's that where we just are not seeing it. Mm -hmm. When I work with couples, sometimes a spouse will be talking to the other spouse and I'll talk and I'll suggest to the person who's speaking, who are you talking to? Mm. (laughs) And they'll go, well, I'm talking to my wife. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Are you sure? 
<laughs> Many times they're talking to a parent, a sibling, a you know, past relationship, or it it, it doesn't fit. Yeah. It it doesn't fit. So I'm going, this seems like a deeper because it's going right over your spouse's head and, and it doesn't seem like it fit. It's it's too intense. It's yeah. too and I'm going, who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah. And and do you notice that they're always talking in this defensive way? Right. Right. And, and it's like, cause it's, it doesn't fit the current situation. Yeah. So if it's not fitting the current situation, I need to take uh, another look at mm. where are we in the space and time of our emotional field and our emotional system? Where, mm. where are you in this time? So if we're, if and you we're, ask, what age are you? You know, that's yeah. another way to get at it so when we're in emotional reactivity it's because we're speaking through the emotions of the enmeshment and that usually is defending to keep that enmeshment intact right and so how do we how do we how do we bring awareness to that how we how do we observe this is what's really going on and, and and manage the emotional reactivity we're having well, I think first of all, we we first recognize we are being reactive. Mm-hmm. We have to turn on our our uh, button that says, uh, "Alert me when I'm being reactive." Mm-hmm. If I'm being reactive, I probably should stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should not be doing anything further because I'm already in a bad place. Right. Wh- whatever you do after reactivity is probably either keeps the system just the same or will make it worse. Right. So if I can start to clue, cue into and clue into, Hey, I'm being reactive. I need to go inward and find out what's gotten triggered. Mm-hmm. What's going on within me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can bring some sense of calmness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is I like to do anticipatory um, reactivity, meaning let's have the reactivity before you get there. Mm-hmm. So in other words, let's have a role play or dialogue with your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or whatever. Let's do that now and see where you're at mm-hmm. and see what's going on reactivity wise. Uh, because you're going to have it if I role play it or if your husband's sitting here, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there because it's there. Mm-hmm. And so I think being aware of it is the first thing, just starting to become aware. And when people say, well, how do I become aware? No, no. When mm-hmm. will you become aware? It's not a how. And it's not because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, ha, I, me asking somebody, how do I be a white Caucasian male? <laughs> well, it's not a how question, Jerry. It's, it just is, Yeah. you know, it's, I, I don't know how to be a, you know, uh, so it's an is question. And, and so I'll ask them to become, start to become aware of their reactivity and then become an observer, not an absorber of what's going on Mm -hmm. in the relationship or the system. Begin to sit in the audience rather than be on the stage Mm -hmm. 
be an audience member and go back to your family or go back to your marriage or whatever and watch what's going on. Just observe it like you're a researcher or you're, you know, just, just do that. Mm. And, and they begin to start to get some detachment, mm. just the beginnings. It's a slow process, but it can occur. And we start to get more detached and, you know, they'll go home and say, well, I, you know, Jerry, I, I never looked at it from an observer's point of view. I felt a lot more calm. Yeah. I felt a lot more. Right. Because you weren't just playing your part in the play oh. that you call life. Yeah. You were the audience watching people play their parts in the play yeah. rather than you just playing it and not and thinking it's real you. Yeah. Yeah. You, the yeah. question so that comes, get in the audience. The question that comes to mind is thinking of a relationship that you know is dysfunctional. There is some tension between that relationship you feel misunderstood or not recognized right. not seen and heard asking yourself right. the question what part am i playing in this relationship i think that really mm -hmm. that really i think just saying that out loud helps you put in put yourself in the observer mode and and it can and it does and i think that's what we want to do and Rather than let me try to find who should be blamed, right. let me try to find who's right and wrong, which is first order change, not second order change. Mm -hmm. That's what, what are you going to do with that? I mean, okay. And I've even told couples before, okay, well, who needs to be blamed the most here? Let's <laughs> let, let me do that. So we can get that out of the way. Yeah. And he'll say she is, and she'll say he is. So yeah. I'll say, okay, well, then you both have, and uh, I'll give you a certificate of blame so that we have that settled. <laughs> now, do we want to look at what role do we play in the problematic relationship and how it functions? Mm -hmm. And that I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying we are playing the parts we're supposed to be playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we just get into arguments and we get, well, yeah, you're playing I, I understand you do, but you're still playing a part. Yeah. You're still playing a role. And do you want to keep playing that role? I, yeah, you know, and this I, is all I, rooted I, in can, the enmeshment. This is all rooted in the enmeshment, the family of origin issues. And, and so if you want to be cast for a new role, <laughs> then we could, uh, we could talk about that. If I, it might even be a role you'd like to choose for yourself. Self. That's really cool. I love what? that way of looking at what? it. Um, the two things that come to mind is blame and defensiveness. When we're in emotional yes. reactivity, we're just Absolutely. one person is the blame, playing the blame part, and the person's playing the defensive part, and they're just going at it. They're just going at it. And, and I see that as, well, they come to me and say, we're so distant that we argue all the time. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, no, you're so enmeshed that you argue all the time. Mm -hmm. You're over close. Well, we don't feel very close. No, I understand you don't feel very close. That doesn't mean you're not over close emotionally. Emotionally, yes. You know, just because you feel distant doesn't mean you are. Because yeah. there's two levels to that. And so, 
well, we want to be closer and we need, and then we'll argue about being closer. Oh, well, that's a great way to be closer is to argue Mm -hmm. about being closer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's just paradoxically becomes a mess. Yeah. You know, and so I try to help them with what really is going on and how relationships work. And then they get some insight into, oh, well, then that, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe. So me poking at them is my way of avoiding intimacy. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. It, that you're you have an allergy to intimacy mm-hmm. yes and you learned that growing up mm-hmm. and and it works very well it's just you guys have to fight all the time to keep the allergy going so the kind of relationship dynamics we had with the caretakers our caretakers when we were little though and mm-hmm. if it was i think majority of relationships are dysfunctional at this point um and there's there was dysfunction we just kind of carry that over into our intimate relationships and we just behave in the same patterns like we're five six seven years old again it's the same circus a new tent okay and and it, it's just a new tent yeah and, and, it, and but it seems like a new circus but and, it's not. and it's really not that makes a and lot and of if sense. you can really see it that way, you'll you'll find many more ways out of the problems. Yeah, uh, and a lot more solutions rather than just recycling everything over and over again and getting stuck, yeah. getting over enmeshed, then over distant, and then then we do the pendulum like mm-hmm. uh, time and time again and just go back and forth and back and forth. And uh, and thinking we're making progress, because yeah. there's movement, but it's movement that's not going anywhere. Where right? You're just with that's, the new person. There is movement. You're just with the new relationship. Same story. Same story. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I've had people that have four, five, six marriages. I worked them. I said, you know, well, you can have another one, but mm-hmm. until you deal with these things, it's going to probably go with you because whatever you did you choose the first first four people then you're probably going to use for the next four yeah do you want to do that you know and that's because you're free to i mean you're grown up you want to that's not until you decide to choose a new part and when you start being yourself right and and the pain that you've had and deal with that pain and those and the dysfunctional toxic thoughts, beliefs, feelings, trauma, whatever's been there for you. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of talk a little bit about narcissist abuse. Okay. And especially in the parent-child dynamic. Uh, sure. How do people who are, you, people who know that they are children of narcissists, how do they start to rebuild their self-esteem and self-confidence when it's just literally been hammered in you? You're just never going to be good enough. Right. Well, the first thing they do is they have to come out, come out of denial mm-hmm. that their parent or their parents were narcissists. I mean, we have to at least first recognize that uh, and that it had a negative effect on us it's not a we're not blaming the parents we're just recognizing the facts of the reality 
and um, and as they if they're working on narcissistic abuse and healing that there's a lot of dysfunctional thoughts a lot of systems feelings that are in there that they would want to work on there's a lot of self-love self-affirmation self-care that they have not learned to do so all those things are part of that recovery process uh, I think it would even be healthy and helpful for folks to use uh, ACOA material, adult children of alcoholics. The reason why that's good material is because the disease of alcoholism is narcissistic. Mm-hmm. All addiction is narcissistic. Now, I'm not saying every alcoholic has narcissistic personality disorder. I, I don't believe that. But it has a narcissistic side because addiction is. and so. I think the 12 steps and those kinds of things can be helpful for people recovering from uh, narcissistic abuse Um, and uh, that they find someone, a coach or a therapist that they can work with uh, who understands those dynamics and believes that their parents actually had some narcissism. There are many therapists who wouldn't. Mm-hmm. who don't you can go to therapists and say oh my parent was a narcissist they'd say well i'll be the judge of that mm, you know and so it's kind of like wait a minute wait a minute what you know i i think they were i mean i'm not a you know i'm not a psychiatrist the client may say but my parents fit all the you know all the dynamics oh i just think you're being too harsh on hard on your parents and well you might want to go find somebody else if, if that's you, another you person know, some, denying their reality that exactly now we've just found a narcissistic therapist Mm -hmm. well what is that going to do for me um and so find someone who believes you and who is who has found some maturity in their own lives and that's what i think is very important for finding a therapist or a coach somebody who's grown up some Mm -hmm. and who has grown up and not just you know have have ego trips or you know the immaturity to their practice or what they're doing um and no per, no therapist or coach is perfect i understand that but uh finding someone who you believe are, is mature uh and and also beginning to talk through those narcissistic painful experiences mm-hmm. uh, journaling them writing about them uh sharing them with someone who would be accepting and listen to you um because one of the things you don't get to do in like a narcissistic parent relationship often is don't talk, don't feel, don't think, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not to do any of those three things uh, with a narcissistic parent because they'll tell you what to think. They'll tell you what to feel and don't question me. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you do, you okay, get well wrath. that's pretty much, And then you get the wrath. And so you better not. Mm-hmm. So then we're stuck being deaf, dumb, and blind, mm-hmm. so to speak. And we're trying to come out of that darkness. Mm-hmm. And so that that is so that we want to begin to talk. We want to begin to think. And we want to begin to feel. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, carefully and slowly, we begin to thaw. Because mm-hmm. we... I think so many end up just becoming just frozen feelings mm-hmm. and frozen self. And mm-hmm. it's just, and so we need to begin to thaw. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're, if you've ever had a really, you know, uh, 
you know, or I think of maybe I lean on my arm and there was no blood to the arm. And then as I let the blood start to flow again, it's tingling and it's kind of hurting and it's kind of thawing sometimes can be painful. Mm -hmm. But if you can choose to go through that process and learning to uh, thaw out um, and going slowly and thinking, feeling, um, and talking, mm-hmm. um, that you can begin to do your work on uh, recovery. For and there's some good books out there. There's some decent books on. Uh, so what? What helping. if? What if we feel fear? Like I know that sometimes for me in that relationship d- dynamic, there's fear, fear of. Oh, if I'm just myself, it's going to upset this person or it's going to like, they're just going to start projecting and blaming and the whole like, you know, how dare you, how, how dare you disobey me and you, I right. gave you birth and, you know, I right. owe you owe me. Yeah, like right. all of and, that. Right. Why, why, do, why does the child feel the fear? Okay. Because well, we've always felt that fear. Mm. And we don't start with the narcissist. We start with us. Yeah. And we're not trying to change the narcissist. We're trying to change us. Mm. Only when we become stronger and more settled, more calm, more stable, mm-hmm. can we begin to then deal with, let's say, that narcissistic parent. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't throw somebody into the lion's den who has no lion training experience or martial arts experience. Mm-hmm. Why would I throw, push him into the lion's den? I don't go, now you go home and tell your dad, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's dropping the bomb. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very bad thing to do in family systems thinking. Because you're just going to explode the anxiety. It's just going <laughs> to be very highly times. charged. <laughs> I have too. And it, it just, it blows up. Yes. And it's like, now, well, what did that do? I don't yeah. know that that did anything. Now I feel worse. They're mad. and then I get it more you know and it's like no no we have to start in a different way stabilizing us first Mm -hmm. then we can begin to deal with those relationships the question that I come back to is what part do I play in this relationship and looking at the observing the behaviors the actions the thought processes that are going on that are triggering the emotional reactivity and you know, for me, the un- underlying thing was, oh my gosh, I need, I need their love and approval. That is why, and I'm not getting it. And it just makes that's me like right. a raging monster. And, and in fact, that's why we try to change our parents or try mm-hmm. to perfect them or fix them or mm-hmm. care, give them or whatever, or, or even uh, complain or challenge them because we want them to change. Yeah. And we want them to change so that we will feel the love from the parent that we always wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I keep telling them, you know, the situation is hopeless, but it's not serious. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You, you are not going to get that from your parent. The, and so that's the hopeless part. The not, the, the not serious part is it's okay if you don't. It doesn't matter. You now can take care of you. You can give you what you want from your parents. Give yourself what you want. And it's that acceptance thing. Um, 
yeah so it, it was the it's like the acceptance thing we finally accept right. that this is how it is this is how it is and now i get to decide when i get to be different and be myself in right. this relationship well and if the other thing about that acceptance if you truly accept this is how it is and this is how they are that then forces you i must look for other solutions mm -hmm. I, I can't keep going to that well that is dry uh -huh. but if i just told them stop going to the well that's dry they'll say but i have this fantasy that it will happen mm -hmm. and that that well will have water in it if i mm -hmm. keep going mm -hmm. and i'm going so what i want to do is say come over with me look in the well do you see it dry <laughs> yes has it ever not been dry uh no now let's start from there mm -hmm. now where would you go mm -hmm. well then you might try to find an oasis yeah and that's within yourself <laughs> and that's within yourself and and there's been an oasis there all along it's waiting for you yeah that makes a lot of sense um this is really good. I'm I'm taking notes because things are things are Great. being being inspiration Wonderful. is hitting me. Um, I guess the thing I want to ask you, my last question for you is coming back to you again and sure. the journey you've been on and uh -oh. doing this work and all the people that you've worked with and just just you and your experience with everything. What would you say is the one thing that you've learned that's impacted you the most and that could also be something someone can take away when they're in that healing journey of coming back to the self oh what would be i mean there would probably be several things but i i think what's my journey had a lot to do with fear mm. and anxiety and so i had to deal with a lot of fear and anxiety what i would lose i'd be abandoned i'd be rejected i'm unworthy i've got you know, lots of fear and anxiety and i came to see how um how over serious I was about those problems. Mm -hmm. And I was just in over seriousness kills self differentiation. I have a video called over seriousness kills self differentiation. Mm -hmm. And I was over serious about all that, which also would keep me stuck. And so it was helpful to, to kind of work in a paradoxical way and going, well, you know, this may be true. And I do have this fear but will it make my pants fall down mm -hmm. you know i mean trying to look from a funnier playful way mm -hmm. of that has been a a, a life uh, line for me that going gosh i've just taken this so serious my gosh if my parents don't love me and don't accept me what does that mean yeah. and then i would learn to go nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything i'm going well that's helpful you know <laughs> you wow. know to to try to take my seriousness and then go 
and yeah you know what's the point well well they won't love me anymore so mm -hmm. you know so. well they'll get mad at me that's what they do mm -hmm. they, and it, they could get mad at you for anything yeah you know and probably will so who cares mm -hmm. yeah and and learning to have a more of a who cares mentality and and an attitude mm -hmm. and again it doesn't mean these important things are not serious or important or painful i'm not uh, demeaning them in that way but i'm trying to get that serious over seriousness out of me and that's been a help to think outside the box and you know okay well what if instead of arguing with my spouse I just read the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. You know that would be a better approach than arguing? Mm -hmm. Does it sound ridiculous? Yeah, it does. Let me tell you what's more ridiculous. You arguing with your spouse, going nowhere and getting no place. Right. At least the Declaration of Independence would get you out of doing the same thing over and over and over. Just repeating the cycle. <laughs> It's repeating the cycle. So which one of these is really crazy? Yeah. The declaration or the, the argument that you seem so, so important to you yeah. that won't get you anywhere and will keep everybody just in place. Yeah, I, I, I resonate with the over seriousness because I, I, I have struggled with being just over seriousness and that over seriousness oh, keeps my. us so attached and so feeling powerlessness and hopeless because it's like, I need this thing, otherwise I'm gonna die or something. <laughs> right yeah right so where can people find you on the internet you can find me at my website www.jerrywiserelationshipsystems.com that's also the name of my youtube channel it's also the name of my facebook page and then i'm on twitter and instagram and those kind of places too and uh, also on spotify uh, i have some podcasts up on there i've also got some music that i did many years ago up on spotify an album i did way back in the way back in the day cool um and uh just for people to listen to and you can do that free on spotify um but that's how you would find me uh those kind of ways and and generally i think most people can like type in jerry wise and the first page will be pretty much me Cool. And, and all I'll my put, stuff, which is nice. Yeah. And I'll put all those links in the show notes along with that video of the over seriousness. Over seriousness kills self differentiation. Great. That would be great. Now, I'm much heavier back then. That was when I had more weight. Now I've lost weight, but that's a heavier me, but still was saying good things. It's the content that matters. Just heavier. It's the content. Right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. And I think I learned so much. And if you want to reach out to Jerry or myself and share your thoughts about our conversation or any questions that come up for you, feel free to email either of us. And yeah, thank you, Jerry. It has been a pleasure, uh, Kajal, to uh, be with you today. And, and you asked some really great, great questions. And it's been a joy to be here. Thank you.